0: Because of all the interesting stories we find in the book of Luke, I found that I think Luke is one of my favorite books in the Bible. We just read all these amazing stories of people's lives and what they did, how they lived. We read about the widow who prayed devotedly. Jesus tells this parable to convey a certain message to the people to let them meet this widow who had a particular devotion. This was who she was, how she wanted to live, how she wanted to be. She wanted to pray. After we read this parable, we get the the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee who both went to the temple. Again, we get a strong idea of who these two people are, what's important to them. The Pharisee stands in the temple and prays his prayer, thanking God that he doesn't have to be like other people. He thanks God that he's not a deceiver and a thief. He mentions his fasting and how he's faithfully giving from his money. He is just so grateful that he's not like the tax collector that he's seeing over there, who is standing looking totally defeated. The tax collector, who does not have the courage to lift up his head, also prays. But his prayer sounds totally different. Have mercy on me, he says. I'm a sinner. As we read further, we read about this rich young man who in a conversation with Jesus hears that he's supposed to give up his possessions and his money in order to obtain eternal life. He hears that other things now has to be important and he doesn't want to hear that. He's disappointed when Jesus tells him he's supposed to be different, someone else than what he wants to be. And then we hear the story of Zacchaeus climbing up a tree. And this story shows us something totally different. Here's a man who's ready to make adjustments in his life. We read here of someone who says, I'm ready to change. Someone who's desperate, a rich man, a respectable man, standing in a crowd of people climbing up a tree to see Jesus. And then he has this life-changing encounter with Jesus Jesus enters his life, enters his house, eats with him, and then we see he has new vision for his future. I will share what I have with others, he says. I'm going to be different. And then we get to today's story that we are going to read together. We read from Luke 18, verse 35, a blind beggar receives his sight. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. A lot of interesting things are happening in this text. First we hear how a blind man realizes something's going on. There must have been some sort of buzz. And then when he inquires, he's told that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Immediately he decides to let himself be heard. He hears Jesus from Nazareth is coming and he cries out. But interestingly enough how he addresses Jesus is interesting. He says, "Jesus, son of David. He addresses Jesus as the son of David. The crowd says this is the son of the man from Nazareth. But for this man, something is different. He believes this is the one. When he addresses Jesus like this, we hear from him that he thinks, he believes, Jesus is the one who was meant to come. It's his way of saying, this is the Messiah. This is the one who said, I will not leave my people. Who will not forsake them but who will come to us, who will be the divine with us, coming to heal and restore us. This man believes it. And then when he says that, he shouts out. And then when he shouts, the people that are leading the crowd, the people that are in the company of Jesus, they do something strange. The disciples who are part of Jesus' people, his group, they move with him from town to town, and then they Silence the man. Don't shout like that. And then comes verse 39. But he shouted louder, even louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. But he cried even louder. They weren't going to stop him. The situation causes him to act in one way. And that is to cry out to the one he believes came for us. Let's just stop for a moment and look at these characters in our story today. The people who walk together. The people in the middle of the action. The people around Jesus. The ones who lived with him, heard him speak the most. They were the ones who were supposed to grasp the gospel first of all. They're the ones who are supposed to understand Jesus and what he stands for. And even they struggle. Even they don't grasp it all because they silence the man crying out to Jesus. I read somewhere, somewhere someone wrote how interesting it is that these people who spend all their time with Jesus are the ones who now tell a man and need to be quiet. The leaders aren't very good at leading. Is that what they thought Jesus would do? Telling someone they meet on the way and need to be quiet? Even on their way with Jesus, they kind of lost the way of Jesus. The next character we meet is the blind man. What is he doing in the midst of all those people? In the moment of getting close to Jesus, he calls out. And then after being silenced, The incredible is he screams even louder. He's so determined. He knows he has this one chance. And so he lets himself be heard. Jesus is the one he's been waiting for. The one to fulfill the promise. And those people around him won't silence him. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus, someone who always exceeds our expectations, does things differently than we might think and expect. He calls out to Jesus, and what does Jesus do? He answers with the best. He gives him a question. What do you want me to do for you? Let's not underestimate the value of a good question. What do you want me to do? We can easily put it into one sentence and it could read, what do you want? Jesus in a way is challenging the direction of this man's life, his future. If Jesus can do anything about this man's future and how it's going to look, it's important to hear, where are you going? Where are you heading? And so therefore this question, this is where Jesus starts with him on their own personal path together. What do you want? He's not interested in anyone else's way and being. He's not interested in anyone else's screenplay. That's not what it's important. What' important is, what would you like? That's where their relationship starts. Jesus wants to go deeper than the surface, the obvious, because it should be quite obvious. The the full scope of the answer comes to the table and no conclusions are made. Jesus is interested in what he wants. He's interested in hearing. And so this text obviously brings a lot of themes to the table, but this question of Jesus is so interesting because it addresses the theme of desires. Desiring something sometimes leaves this negative taste in our mouth, a bitter taste. To desire something might mean to look at your life with with dissatisfaction, rather than, than wanting something else. To long for something, to have a desire for something, might mean that we look at our lives and then compare it to someone else's life, their abilities, their... Occupation, their relationships, their income and appearance, and want that, desire that. Desire can certainly have this ability to make us people who compulsively compare ourselves to others. And that's obviously something to avoid. That's not good, biblical. That's the Ten Commandment. We don't want to go there. But to talk about our desires, our needs in a, in a negative connection always have also has another side. When we talk about it in the negative sense, it makes us dissatisfied, jealous, ungrateful, envious. But when we think of it in terms of what we just read, it can mean something totally different. Because here we meet someone who cares about what we wish for, what our hearts long for. We see uh, someone who cares what our deepest joy is, someone who cares about fulfilling what our heart desires, what makes us happy and content. When Jesus asks this question, what do you want, then from the nature of the text, we find a question that's on a different level, a question that's not self-directed, this desire, this something negative. It sounds like, to me, we're dealing with something different. Imagine for a moment that Jesus would be passing by here today. And you are standing in the road and you'll have this opportunity to meet him. Imagine yourself crying out to him, being silenced, crying out again, and then he hears you. And when he comes and stands in front of you, asks you, what would you like? What is it that you would like out of this life, out of this moment? what would you answer? do you even know? Will you be able to say it? Will you be able to voice it out loud? Will you be able to have the courage to say? And what will Jesus do with your answer? If you express the desire of your heart, what will that moment between you and God look like? So I'll ask you, what is it that you'd like out of this life, out of your daily effort? out of your relationships? Such an important question, because if we do not decide what we want in this life, then we can turn into logs being tossed around in the sea. The Luke stories in the beginning we refer to refers to a variety of people's lives and what they chose, who they chose to be, Those choices they made made their lives better or worse, more beautiful or complicated. And then Luke 18 comes today and confronts us with our own question. What is your heart's desire? If I think of of my life and the people who've shaped my life, inspired me, motivated me, if I think of who they are, who they've become, I know there are people who knew what they wanted and went for it. The greatest gift you can give this life is to be fully you, to be fully alive. And to do that, you need to know what makes you deeply happy. Of course, our heart's desires aren't always good. They can often turn into something that leaves you empty makes you give into urges that are destructive. So when you ask yourself, what is it that my heart desires? Realize what is good and what is less good. Realize, here what is healthy and what is unhealthy, and then go deeper beyond what lies on the surface. Go ask that difficult question, what am I looking for in this life? And why am I looking for it? Why do I want to become this person? Why do I want to spend so much? Why do I want to give so much? Why do I always go for shortcuts? Why do I desire this life that I'm leading at the moment? Go deeper and you will realize what you really want, what your heart desires. And that will give you a vision of how you'd like to love and who you'd like to be. That's what Jesus wants to know. Because that will determine the direction of our future. And therefore, even a more important question than what do you want is, who determines that? Because if you're not going to ask that, then you're not going to... Answer that, then other people might answer that for you. Society, the people around you, your work, and and the time it uh, demands is going to determine who you are or not. There was something in this man's story's answer that made all the difference, and it was his faith. The determining factor for his answer was based on the fact that he believed Jesus was the son of David. Who determines what you do in your life? When it's all about our own selfish fulfillments, it is going to leave us, I don't know, bored, immature, sad. But when our desires, when our desires are based on our faith, not on people's expectations, not on people's demands, not on what drives you in life, but your desire to be closer to God and be founded in God led by the spirit then our lives will look so much different because what we want will also have a major effect on not only ourselves but the people around us Friedrich Buchner wrote the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deepest hunger meet. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. When those two things collide, we will be able to change this world effortlessly. When what we long for, what we want to be, our deepest gladness, when that can meet the the needs of the people around us, it can be big or small. It's then when when the world's need and our gladness meet that this world will be at a better place because of us. And so I invite you to ask this question seriously in the coming week. To ask yourself where are you going and what's the desires of your heart? Who are you and why? May we not be afraid to examine our desires. May we not be afraid to go to the root of our desires and allow the Spirit to renew it, change it, and grow it if necessary. May we make known our desires to the Lord, because God desires to be in conversation with us as much as possible. And may we realize that we do not have to scream louder and louder, for God stops in front of us daily and is ready Already there to take care of us, to give us a space to be with one another. May we not, like the disciples who walked around Jesus, be blissfully unaware of who Jesus really is. But rather, may we be like the blind and let the Son of David be central in our lives. May we have a faith like this, regardless of the people around us, what they believe. But may we be steadfast in what we believe and who we are. And may our blindness, in a sense, be taken away so that we may see and know who the Lord is. Amen. I'm going to give you a few minutes just to let this all sink in. And then we are going to listen to our second reading.